When we read the Bible, we take the humanity out of the people in the Bible, right? We just look at these people as these incredible saints, and we think they're just fixed on our stained glass windows, and they're not real folk. But if you immerse yourself in the stories of the Bible long enough, you realize this is simply not true. Most of the characters in the story of God and God's people are deeply, deeply flawed humans who struggled, made mistakes, some of them a lot, a lot of mistakes, and just every once in a while stumbled into God's will almost unwittingly. Much like those of us gathered here today. Amen? Jacob, who we find in our Genesis text this morning, was not always that nice of a guy. He was in the deeply flawed club along with all of us. Jacob was what his name implies, which means heel grabber, supplanter, one who steals or circumvents. But I think that his name should also mean persistent. This dude was born holding his twin brother Esau's heel. From the very beginning, he was relentless in trying to, to get a leg up on life. Never, ever giving up. Yes, pun intended. Thank you, Grumpy. <laughs> Some history of the dynamic that we encounter in our text this morning. If you'll recall from, um, from your times in children's church and Sunday school, Esau, Jacob's twin brother, was their father's favorite. And as firstborn um, son, he was also the heir. So Jacob, being Jacob, right, never letting his current circumstances define where he was going to go next, hatched a plan to get his brother's inheritance. If you recall, he made a stew that his brother was good at making, and he, um, he or not, not a stew for his, for his dad, a stew for his brother, when his brother was starving, and made him trade that stew for his birthright. And then he waited until his father Isaac was on his deathbed, and tricked him into thinking that he was Esau. Remember in that famous time he like, apparently Esau was a very hairy guy, and so he like put some, put some hair, like some, some pelts on him, which is like, wow, that guy was real. I'd love to see like an actual picture of Esau. It's amazing the amount of hair that he must have had. But he asked him to get this special blessing from his father, tricking his father into thinking that he was his twin brother. So he secured both the legal and spiritual inheritance of a firstborn in this way. Although he technically came out on top, right? After all of this treachery and planning and plotting, he was forced to leave town as his brother Esau did not take too kindly to this and wanted to kill him. What goes around comes around, right? You can outsmart somebody and trick them, but you're going to have to pay the consequences. Jacob's story doesn't really get much better after that. He ends up with a relative named Laban, falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel, and in his typical persistent manner, he worked for seven years to get her hand in marriage. But her father tricked him on their wedding night, remember, and had him marry his, her sister Leah instead. So he, getting, he ended up getting married to both Leah and Rachel, having to work another seven years to pay off that bride price. In those 14 years, Jacob demonstrated his skills of endurance and hard work. 
Yeah, he could trick a person, but man, he really was quite wily and smart. Showing up his father-in-law slash uncle, Laban in business and more, this did not set well with Laban. So he had to leave yet again to avoid the jealousy and repercussions of these complicated family relationships. Out of the frying pan, into the fire as it were. This is where our Old Testament text that was read by River this morning intersects Jacob running away from his father-in-law slash uncle and heading back to his home where he'll be faced by, you guessed it, his dear old brother Esau of the birthright fiasco. The context of this is super important as we encounter this text this morning. We need to get the full meaning of what Jacob is fighting for that night. We need to see the dark history, the major mistakes, the huge flaws in his character to really allow this scripture to penetrate our hearts. We have to see with eyes wide open the place of desperation that Jacob was in and how he, quite frankly, did not really deserve anyone's mercy. Jacob started the evening by um, sending his wives and his children and all of the people from his household to safety. He wanted to make sure that he kept them safe, that they didn't have to face the consequences of his actions, but he also knew that this was something that he and only he could face. This was something that he needed to face alone. Y'all, we can have the most amazing support networks. We can have support from our communities. We can have rock-solid teams. We can have strong family systems. We can have great churches. But when it comes right down to it, every one of us must face God alone. Our journeys are filled with relationships. They're requirements. They're, they're meant to be a part of our journey by God. That's how God created us. But we are responsible for our own actions, for our own sin, for our own blessings, for our own joys. No one can force any of us to be a good person or faithful person. And we are not made holy by our proximity to good people or even by doing or saying the right thing. We are made holy by God's grace. We are made holy by our willingness to wrangle with God, to take that grace for its word, to believe in it, and to present ourselves, warts and all, to God's self, alone, vulnerable, and face who we really are and who God is for us. The inspiration that Jacob can give us today is in his persistence and his willingness to show up and face God alone and as he truly was. Jacob, I don't think any of us could argue with, was not the best son or brother or husband. He was not an exemplary person in a lot of ways, but that guy did not let go. Knock him down ten times, and he's going to get up every single time. And he had this incredible sense of God's presence and our access to God's grace. Remember the dream that he had? Jacob's ladder? That there was a literal connection between heaven and earth? That was something kind of unheard of 
that some normal dude, especially one as flawed as Jacob, could understand that there is like this highway between heaven and earth. So from the moment Jacob was born with his brother's foot in his hand until the point we see him in our story, he was consistent, persistent himself. That whole night he wrestled. And aren't you curious what the kids are doing downstairs right now? <laughs> if they're trying to wrestle yet, who knows? I know Leah said one of the suggestions in the curriculum was to allow the two children to wrestle until they get too tired, and we all felt like that was a bad idea. <laughs> but Jacob took beating after beating, and he kept coming back for more because he didn't know another way. Because of that persistence, because of that willingness to face, face God as he was and not walk away, he came away from that encounter with God knowing that there was nothing that he could do to push God away from that God was with him, and that no matter what came of his meeting with his brother the next day, he was at peace. So, after this scripture, we know that Jacob did come encounter Esau, and his brother did not kill him. <laughs> Yay! Lucky Jacob. And Jacob went on to have many sons, including Joseph, the one with the fancy coat, who was sold into slavery and then subsequently saved his brothers and his father and the whole heritage of Abraham from famine. So Jacob became part of that great lineage through whom all the families of the world were blessed, including ones. Jacob, now named Israel, died of old age, still limping. The inspiration for Jacob of Jacob for us this morning is profound precisely because he is such an imperfect example. If he was all saint with no sinner mixed in, he would not be relatable. We might be tempted to just sit back, shrug our shoulders, and be like, yeah, sure, like that's fine for like biblical characters that are perfect, but that's not for us. I can't show my, my authentic self to God. Jacob does. Shows us the effectiveness of persistence and vulnerability. And that perhaps... They are more true spiritual practices than goodness. Goodness gets exhausting if we're trying to be good all the time, right? Goodness wears around the edges. Goodness is not sustainable always because at some point we're going to get tired or hungry or someone will be unkind or cut us off on 1604 or 410 and we will lose our patience or worse. Persistence coupled with God's grace, allows for continuity beyond our circumstances. We can be persistent in God's grace, whether things are going well or horribly. And if we add that piece of vulnerability in showing up as we are always, which really just takes courage, we're able to intersect with God in a way that we will know that God will never leave us or forsake us. Persistence and vulnerability in our prayer, in our meditation, in our choosing gratitude, in bringing our feet to these places of worship, in our love for others, in our study of the scriptures and other spiritual texts, in our embracing and sustaining of this incredible created world, persistence in love for those God has given to us to love, which is everyone. Persistence in pursuing God's kingdom, 
to make changes that need to happen in this world to reflect God's grace. And then persistence enough to try again when we fail and say sorry when we need to and show up even if our head hangs low. Jacob did all of those things, faced a dark night of the soul in this tr transition that we see today in our scripture. What dark night of the soul are we facing? Where are the places that we need to stop trying to avoid or explain away or push down the road and deal with later? Where are the places that we need to enact our holy persistence coupled with God's grace and remember that sometimes that requires hand-to-hand -hand combat. <laughs> what are ways that we're trying to hide? What are places that we can show up as ourselves, warts and all? Church, if you try and be good, like a kind of one-dimensional facade, like just a stained glass window or something, you will fail. If you embrace persistence and vulnerability in this life of love, you have a fighting chance. You may come out on the other side with a limp and a killer nickname, but that's better than missing out on the healing and the wholeness of embracing God's grace and facing what is true and wrestling with it. Amen. Let's stand together and sing, O God of Word Incarnate.